students who might have otherwise lost three months of learning in terms of reading. Um, we're not only not seeing that, that slide in them, we were actually seeing three months of gain in some of the students on average across programs. And so this is a really promising beginning to very structured and carefully planned program of research. Hello and welcome to episode 75 of Rural Matters. I'm Michelle Rathman, your host, and I haven't said this for a while, but when I'm not here in my home office recording, uh, it's likely that you'll find me on the road again. However, this time, uh, as we like to call it in our COVID camper with our pandemic puppy, uh, we've done, done that so I could get back on the road to work uh, with the rural hospitals that I am so passionate about. But in the meantime, here at Rural Matters, I want you to know that our goal is to bring you content that helps increase awareness, inform discussion, and promote intelligent dialogue on the most important issues facing rural stakeholders today. So to our first-time listeners, I'm always so appreciative that you found us. And for those of you who are return listeners, I just also want to thank you. And I'm so grateful for you taking time out of your busy schedule to carve out time to listen to these conversations. Now, no matter how you found us or what your experience is with us, we want to remind you that you can listen to Real Matters on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you're most comfortable getting your podcast. And of course, we always encourage you to subscribe and receive new episodes automatically, which is super convenient for our multi-part series, uh, such as the one we're in the middle of today. Uh, and we've got a quite, quite a few more of those in store for you later on this year. Of course, as always, if you've got ideas, questions or comments about the show please send us an email at podcast the number two day at gmail that's podcast today at gmail.com now i've been looking forward to this episode but i must say i'm a bit sad because um it is the final in our three-part series that we're doing in collaboration with and supported by the duke endowment this series is called faith-based programs and their impact in rural communities now, if you recall, in the first episode, I had the honor of speaking with Rob Webb, and he's the director of Duke Endowment's Rural Church Program area, and also with Christian Richardson Frick, and she's the associate director. Together, they shared a great amount of detail about Duke Endowment's rural church work in the Carolinas, and it really was such an insightful and compelling conversation. So if you've not had a chance to listen to it, I hope you'll go back and, and do that. And then also we've got a second episode coming up. And in that, I've chatted with Heather Kilborn. Now she is the program manager of the Faith and Rural Communities Initiative at the North Carolina Rural Center. I also spoke with Nicole Johnson and she's the associate director at the Partners in Health and Wholeness Program of the North Carolina Council of Churches. And we rounded out that conversation with Michelle Osborne and uh, she's the come to the table program manager for the Rural Advancement Foundation International USA. So the four of us had a really robust discussion about how rural congregations are filling gaps in local communities during the COVID-19 pandemic. And we touched on issues like food systems, food security, public health, and community development. So in today's episode, um, as I said, it's the final in the series, we're going to be talking about efforts rural churches are making to narrow the academic achievement gap and improve literacy rates for students in their communities through the Duke Endowment's Summer Literacy Initiative. And gosh, you know, I can, can you think of any other more appropriate time for us to be having this conversation? 
because the summer literacy program, I, I think, and as we'll hear from our guest today, uh, could not be more timely. Um, we talk about summer slide, but I'm curious to talk to our guest today about what that looks like uh, during an era where we are distance learning. So for that, as I always say, no one tunes in to hear me talk to myself. So I'm going to introduce our guest for today's uh, episode. First up is Dr. Helen Chen. Helen is a has a passion for improving opportunities for youth through education. Her independent consulting practice focuses on program evaluation, curriculum and teach professional development, and technical assistance. Helen has also worked as the Senior Research Manager on Investing in Innovation Fund Validation Study at Harvard to Evaluate Reads for Summer Learning, a program aimed at improving reading comprehension outcomes in high-poverty elementary schools. Welcome, Dr. Chen Helen, to the program. We're so glad that you could join us today. Thanks, Michelle. Glad to be here. Thank you. So I'd also like to welcome into the conversation Sharon Locklear. So Sharon is the director of the Sandy Plains UMC Summer Literacy Program in Pembroke, North Carolina. Sharon works as the Youth Development Specialist with the Indian Education Program with the Public School Robeson County for the past 26 years. She is a member of the Lumbee Tribe of North Carolina. So welcome, Sharon. We're so glad to have, to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. And finally, I will say last but not least, so we've got David Reeves with us. And David has been serving as the senior minister at, and I hope I pronounced it correctly, Kalawi United Methodist Church since 2003, where the We Read group happens. Kalawi, by the way, for those of you who might not know, is a mountain town in Western North Carolina. And also David's role focuses on growing and sustaining the life of the church, as well as connecting with ministries in his community. David is a graduate of Greensboro College and the Duke Divinity School. Welcome, David. We've got quite a panel with us today. Thank you for inviting me. So uh, before we get into the summer literacy program, Sharon and David, I know that both of you are serving uh, a very unique, filling unique needs and, uh, and, and you've got some broad goals for the communities that you serve. So before we get started, Sharon and David, could you each kind of give us um, a better picture of the communities that you're serving? I'll go first, um, Michelle. Um, my community is the Pembroke community, and um, we are in the Robinson County, which is the, the largest county here in North Carolina. And we we have about a population of about 130,000. Mm -hmm. And that population is very diverse here. Um, we have about 40,000. 40% that is that are Native American, particular Lumbee and Tuscarora tribes. And um, we have about 30% that are Caucasian and about 25% that are African American. And we have a large, um, we have a growing number of Hispanic, of the Hispanic population here. Also, we have a, um, a university in our community. So that's the University of North Carolina at Pembroke which provides great um, resource here for our students. Wonderful. Thank you. And David, what about what can you tell us about your community? Um, we are in Jackson County, North Carolina. It's in the western part of the state, up in the mountains. Uh, there are about 30 something thousand full time residents that swells 12,000 more when Western Carolina University is in session. Um, Western Carolina University is our largest employer here. Um, we 
are limited in the ways that economies are in the mountains just because our land's kind of wrinkled up. Mm. It's a hard place to put factories and and to do large-scale agriculture or anything else like that. Um, so at present, our, our main industry is uh, education. We're, we are home to, again, Western Carolina University, but also Southwestern Community College. And together, I think they serve uh, really close to 18,000 students. It's a, it's a great place to live, and it's generally pretty cool, except for this summer. Yeah, as we were talking about earlier, we said we're, we're actually talking about the weather today. So, so to Helen, to you, I want to ask you, uh, I mean, I think maybe it would seem obvious, um, but I, I believe that there are some uh, underlying issues that most of us are just really not uh, aware of uh, and should be concerned with. And that is why there is a need for summer literacy programs in rural communities like David's and Sharon's. Well, Michelle, there's really um, a dearth of academic enrichment opportunities over the summer months in rural communities like uh, David's and Sharon's. Um, in addition to a lot of the other challenges that many um, communities face, like food insecurity um, in, in high poverty communities. Um, and so we think about these summer literacy programs as a way to meet um, what is going on nationally um, in terms of third grade reading proficiency. Um, laws. So many states have um, third grade, end of third grade reading um, laws where if the student is not at grade level by the end of third grade, the state and district um, are required to provide summer support. Um, and in these rural areas in particular, it's a wonderful way for the church to step into that gap and to serve the community and um, to meet that need in terms of summer slide, which we often see, which is when students um, who may often have resources during the school year through their teachers and schools um, may not have those same resources available to them during the summer month. So we often see that in higher poverty communities, um, that, that lack of resources um, tends to result in greater academic losses during the summer mm -hmm. than in comparable middle class or upper class communities. And that is the case before, you know, outside of being in a pandemic, that is that is the case. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, are you uh, what are your concerns? What are you seeing in, in terms of the need being even greater as a result of children kind of appending their school year and having to do distance learning? Have you seen the need to be even more significant than in previous years? Absolutely. We're sort of in unprecedented times here in that uh, we've just never had to do distance learning on this scale. Mm -hmm. um, and in rural communities, there are particular challenges um, such as access to Wi-Fi and um, electronic devices that can make distance learning even more of a challenge. So programs um, that we are seeing at Sandy Plains and Colowee, um United Methodist churches are really trying to meet that need during the summer by providing wraparound services um, virtually and in person when possible. Um, but for virtual learning, really trying to overcome those barriers by providing hotspots, providing um, devices to children when needed, and providing technical support to make sure that caregivers at home are able to get their children online to receive instruction. Yeah, absolutely. So be, uh, David and Sharon, before you talk about why you got involved with the program, Helen, could you just give us an outline of what the actual uh, program is designed to do? Kind of give us a, how does it work? How long is it? Uh, and then, you know, just 
maybe a bit of background on why the initiative was started by Duke Endowment. I think that would be interesting to, to understand as well. Sure. So the initiative was started back in 2013 when a fellow at the Duke Endowment, um, uh, who was a former Teach for America teacher, um, really was focused on some of the gaps in learning opportunities in rural areas during the summer. Um, and that sort of spawned um, an initiative that over the course of the last few years has grown to this summer literacy initiative, uh, wherein UMC churches um, are provided um, grants, funds, and support from the Duke Endowment to provide summer literacy programming in their churches. So there are a few guiding principles for these programs um, so that the churches host um, these programs. They are a natural fit in that they have space and are often a touch point for the community. Um, they have Sunday school classrooms. They have um, facilities to provide breakfast and lunch um, and often are providing transportation as well for students to come during typical years. This year, of course, is atypical in that um, we're doing social distancing and virtual learning in many cases. A typical year involves a six-week program during which literacy instruction is offered uh, for 90 hours over the course of six weeks. So that's usually morning hours. Um, coupled with afternoon enrichment activities that are often supported by church volunteers and partnering with community organizations. And um, that is also in addition to wraparound services, as I mentioned, providing meals um, and also providing family engagement opportunities. So during a typical year, uh, the churches would host weekly family events where they're inviting all families to come in for a meal and to share about literacy activities and ways to engage their children in summer learning. Yeah, so it's really, it's, uh, yeah. it's so holistic. I mean, I, I love exactly. that it's meeting so many other needs. Uh, David, you know, obviously, um, I'm curious about why you decided to bring this program into your community and um, why it was so important to make sure it happened this year. Maybe you can share with us how you pivoted a, a bit to uh, respond to the challenges that we have with being in physical space together and whatnot. Oh, um, well, I I would uh, affirm all the things that Helen said, uh, especially about the the summer slide. I've been married to a uh, to a public school teacher all all my adult life, and she she talked about the summer slide all the time. And when we heard that there was an opportunity to to help students develop proficiency in the early grades. Uh, it just seemed like a remarkable thing, uh, opportunity, and we didn't want we didn't want to let that pass. We had uh, our we hosted our first camp last year, and it was just one of the best experiences we've ever had. And we were anxious to do it again this year. All of our faculty returned. Um, we were so excited, and then of course COVID happened. Uh, <laughs> which caused us to have to to make some hard decisions. Um, we are a, a small church, but we host five summer camps uh, during the summer for different kinds of kids and different ages of kids. We canceled all of those um, except the summer literacy program. Mm -hmm. um, what What we decided to do there because the need was so very great was to try to identify kids who um, 
didn't have good access to uh, distance learning opportunities and to um, provide this camp for them this summer and at the same time try to meet all the CDC guidelines to get that done. So our camp has looked a lot different this year. It is smaller. Uh, the duration is shorter. We're only five weeks. Mm. We had to make some changes to um, how we do instruction. We increased uh, the amount of instruction uh, per day and shortened the enrichment activities a little bit uh, so that we could get more instruction in. The kids have seemed not to have minded at all. They, they really enjoy coming, and our absentee rate is very low. Um, we decided to go ahead and do it because we believed that the instruction that we got from North Carolina uh, Department of Health and also from the CDC w would help to provide a safe environment. Um, we uh, clean all of our surfaces multiple times a day. We hired a special person for that. Um, the kids uh, socially distance. They wear masks, even though they're not required to. Uh, our teaching staff wears masks as well. Um, all of our food is individually packaged, which increased the cost some, but we, we were able to, to adjust to that. And uh, we will finish out our week this week. We have three more days left, and we're, we're really excited that we are able to get it done without anyone yeah, getting I mean, it. kudos to you for doing that. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Sharon, I, I would like for you to just give us a snapshot of what your program looks like. And then I want to talk about outcomes, because obviously this program would not be supported if you didn't see. I mean, David, you know, what you've just described about being able to provide this safe environment for continued learning and also making sure the nutrition is there and so forth. But at the end of the day, I'm sure that the data that you all collect with respect to advancing, uh, you know, addressing the summer slides. So I would like to talk to you about that more as well, Helen. But if you'll just stay with us for just a few moments, we'll be right back with this really important Rural Matters conversation. Rural Matters is thankful to be in collaboration with the Duke Endowment for this special three-part series focused on faith-based programs for rural communities. Based in Charlotte, and established in 1924 by industrialist and philanthropist James B. Duke, the Duke Endowment is a private foundation that strengthens communities in North Carolina and South Carolina by nurturing children, promoting health, educating minds, and enriching spirits. Since its founding, it has distributed more than $4 billion in grants. For more information on the Duke Endowment, visit dukeendowment.org. That's dukeendowment.org. Now, let's get back to our discussion. Okay, we are back and we are having a conversation with Dr. Helen Chen, uh, Sharon Lockler, and Reverend David Reeves, and they're talking about the Duke Endowment Summer Literacy Program. And just before we took a break, uh, David gave us kind of a lay of the land of what his program looks like this year in the community. Maybe instead of six weeks, it's five weeks. Uh, Sharon, I know that you've, you've obviously you've embraced this program. What does it look like for your community this year? Because we say you've seen one rural community, you've seen one, and it sounded like your communities, if you compare them, there's you know some stark contrast with just respect to size and geography. So what have you been able to do to kind of pivot your program this year? And uh, I'm curious about where you're at and some of the outcomes you're seeing, the early outcomes. We started out with um, last year was our first year with the Sandy Plains um, participating in the Duke Endowment incentive. And we, um, our church is just full of educators. So we just had, it was just like a no brainer. We had to be a part of it. So we um, 
filled out the grant and got started and everything has been absolutely wonderful. Um, our kids, um, Native, Native American students are more tactile learners. So, and they are, they want to be hands-on with everything. So it was important that we included that in our, um, in our camp. So we provide a lot of hands-on activities for the kids to, um, magnet boards for sentence structure, um, poster boards for them to write every, you know, write out, um, different words that they can, you know, work with vocabulary. So everything is more hands-on. Um, also, the kids, um, the community have been, have, um, the congregation has been coming out and volunteering a little bit. During this COVID, it has been, um, a little bit different. You know, everybody's in, you know, everybody's in mask as much as we can, we can handle it. And, um, everything's, you know, just, di just different. But we are moving along quite well, I think. Oh, that's good to hear. You know, I just think about uh, my daughter's a former teacher and, you know, children are so resilient and it's so enlightening and, and encouraging to hear. I mean, kids are, you know, they're hungry. They're hungry to learn and, and, and reading is, and literacy is so important. So, Helen, I mean, you've been at this quite a long time and you've done research on it. What kind of um, results do you see with respect to, I mean, can you give us some data about where kids were when they started the program? Uh, and then I'm also wondering about either the return campers, if you will, and if you've been able to do any tracking, I'm not sure if you have, but I'd just be curious about some of the success stories that you, that you are familiar with. Sure. Well, this initiative is part of the Duke Endowment's overall desire to make a really positive difference for the zero to eight population in North Carolina. Um, and again, as we said earlier, to address some of the losses that can occur during the summer months. And we're seeing over the course of many years now some really positive outcomes in terms of reading achievement. So the Duke Endowment has um, put together a very structured and detailed roadmap for gathering evidence to support um, the, the plan for um, developing the program and as well as scaling it um, so that we're making sure it's evidence-based, um, scientifically driven, and um, really being careful about um, measurement of uh, progress and um, and what type of outcomes we're looking at. So um, we're seeing very promising outcomes and have seen from the beginning, from 2016 on when we started doing some initial um, measurement for outcomes, mm -hmm. that students who might have otherwise lost three months of learning in terms of reading um, were not only not seeing that, that slide in them, we were actually seeing three months of gain in some of the students on average across programs. And so this is a really promising um, beginning to, again, laying this um, very structured and carefully planned program of research that's covering many years. So I would say that the Duke Endowment is right now um, sort of mid-course in uh, laying the foundation for evidence um, for outcomes. And we want to also be really careful to say that um, it's very hard to see gains in reading over a six-week period during the summer. Right. Um, so even though we have seen those, we also want to make sure we're looking at other measures of gain. Are we helping families to build their, their children's home libraries? Are we making an impact on student motivation and 
um, their sense of efficacy in reading? Are we helping parents to feel more confident in their ability to support their children's reading during the summer and into the school year? So we're really looking at a lot of different types of measurements and asking a lot of the churches in terms of data collection. So we ask them to do a lot of um, assessments um, at the beginning of the summer and at the end of the summer, as well as during the course of the six-week programs, or in this case, um, fewer than six weeks, but we ask them to do formative assessments. And we have teachers um, use individual student data to drive their instruction. So the teachers are exceptionally skilled at uh, catering to specific student needs um, over the course of their summer programs. So we are really just so thrilled to be partnering with the churches and seeing such promising um, outcomes in terms of learning. And your question about return campers, we have had students um, return um, for a second summer in, in some cases. We do try to recruit students who are at greatest need for summer support. So often after one summer, if they've moved out of that particular zone of greatest need, they may not return. If they do, we are um, engaging in longitudinal analyses right now. The Duke Endowment has engaged an outside evaluator to um, conduct some of those analyses, and we're really looking forward to seeing what we can find from that. Yeah, I am as well. Um, I'm going to ask this to both David and Sharon, and maybe uh, David, uh, if you kick us off. I mean, uh, what I just a little note in my head that just rang is that uh, identifying those students, you know, how does the church work to outreach and, and, and engage those parents? Because without the parents being engaged, it's difficult to, you know, have the students participate. So, you know, kind of, I know you've got a lot of tools. Uh, the Duke Endowment has a great toolkit, you know, for you to be able to use and co-brand and whatnot. What are some of the strategies that you use to ensure to the best of your ability, you're getting kids in there that really have the, the greatest need? Here in Coley, we rely on the public school teachers that uh, are teaching at our camp. They they are teachers that are uh, working in schools in our community, and they have been instrumental in identifying these kids that have uh, a need in this area. Um, they, our, our director Angela, reached out to to the parents of the children that we identified or that, that they identified and made them aware of the camp and invited them to come hear about it. Um, so we really, we really depend on those people who, who operate our camp mm -hmm. and who are teachers in the school system to identify the kids who have a need. Excellent. And, you know, Sharon, I'm, I'm curious because this is uh, your first go at it, as I heard you say. So in your view, based on what you know today, what makes this camp, this literacy camp, different than other academic camps that you might be uh, familiar with in your community? Um, I would say the numbers, just having that smaller number of students um, participating and being able to um, work with, to have more individualized instruction. Mm -hmm. is um it gives us the most beneficial aspect of the um having that small number of campers and i would agree with that too yeah and that's so that one-on-one -on -one instruction and i love love what you said sharon earlier just about being really attuned with what the students you know learning abilities are you know helen the time that we have left i as i understand it that what, who we have with us today david and sharon they are two of the 13 um, that held summer reading camps this year, uh, either virtually or in person or some configuration in between. But so based on what you've heard from the leaders, 
just in the last few weeks, um, what impact would you say that they're having uh, just on the students? And, and as you talk about the need to bring families into the fold, what's your take on that? Well, this year in particular, in the midst of the pandemic, the response to the summer programs has been overwhelmingly positive. It is every year, but in particular this year, um, families have been at home and have um, been facing all sorts of stressors um, from having to have their children at home. Um, and so for their children to have an opportunity to be surrounded by high quality instruction, caring, loving teachers and staff and volunteers um, has just been um, Joyful, I think, is a, bit, is a word I would use. There's, it's been a joyful experience. Um, we have a shared drive among all of our 13 sites where we're um, sharing videos and photos and stories um, for both the sites who that are holding virtual and in-person um, programs. And it has just been such a joyful experience for parents to have somewhere that they know their children are going to be supported and loved and cared for and an opportunity for the church community to serve um, these families. Uh, so I think the impact has been um, priceless this summer. And we hear year after year um, from parents and teachers and church staff alike that there's something really special that happens when you bring the church and the community together to support families and children in learning. Um, it is not just about uh, literacy instruction, it's about um, a community surrounding its families and its most vulnerable children with um, support in all sorts of ways from um, reading instruction and enrichment activities to um, family meals and um, opportunities to engage in the community in ways they may not otherwise have during the summer. So now, it has a, just been wonderful. What a bright, bright spot in uh, an otherwise, you know, kind of gloomy days these days. And so I just so appreciate learning about the program. And, um, you know, I, it, I just, I work with so many health or rural health organizations and the, you know, the, the, the primary care providers, you know, I just think these are the kinds of programs that certainly they would want to know about as well, because they see the gamut of, of children and, and some of the um, disparities that and how that impacts their overall health. And I would imagine that just the smiles and the gifts that you're giving these children that you may not even realize how much you've touched their lives uh, until they reflect on it years from now. I, I just really want to thank you, Sharon and Helen and David. It's been a wonderful conversation. Congratulations on your wonderful work uh, with children and literacy. I think this is going to be a conversation that folks need to listen to and seek out that assistance if they weren't aware of it before. You know now, so there's no excuse not to understand how you might be able to participate, uh, volunteer, if you're a teacher, maybe investigate that in your own community. I hope that you will. Uh, so at this point, I also want to make sure that I acknowledge and thank our Role Matters marketing partners because they are so important to helping us bring these conversations forward. We're, you know, on our way to that 27, 28,000 downloads of this podcast. And it's because of them and you, our listeners, that we are there. So they include the Center for Rural Affairs, Community Hospital Corporation, Foundation for Rural Service, the Journal of Research and Rural Education, Learning Blade, and TCA, that's the Rural Broadband Association, the National Rural Education Association, the National Rural Health Association. Of course, we also want to thank the Ohio Small and Rural Collaborative and AASA. Now that's the School Superintendents Association and the National Rural Assembly, the National Grange, and the National Organization of State Offices of Rural Health. As always, as I said, if you'd like more information on the real issues that we talk about here or to suggest a guest or a topic, 
If you're interested in becoming a partner, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at podcasttoday at gmail.com. Please also make sure you follow us on Twitter at Rural Matters Pod and myself as well at MRB Impact. I do appreciate that. Uh, and I also want to thank my producer, Michael Evan Epstein. Can't, can't leave him out. He does such important work for the podcast. I want to just thank you all again for listening. And I look forward to talking with you next time on a new episode of Rural Matters. Rural Matters.